This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Katie Bulls and Paul Goodman. Sunak and Starmer went up against each other at PMQs today. Paul, how did it go? Well, PMQs is, is always treated by um, people who comment on podcasts and perhaps by people who listen to them as something of a barometer. And you can overstate the importance of what happens each week. But generally, I'd say Rishi Sunak, perhaps surprisingly, isn't bad at PMQs. He's he mastered the format pretty well. But today, I think it's fair to say he got a pretty good monstering from Keir Starmer, who had some terrific lines, if you like that sort of thing, where um, he referred to you know, ancient decaying objects, and they made it clear he wasn't talking about the Elgin marbles and about the Conservative Party. It's not his exact words, but that's the thought. And, you know, he then made a uh, joke about the Tories' excrement and, of course, the recent remarks of James Cleverley. And Rishi Sunak usually has a comeback, didn't really seem to today, but he has had an awful time recently. And I think every time there's a bit of good news for him, like hitting the inflation target, is immediately some bad news, like, you know, he loses in the Supreme Court. Then they have quite a good awesome statement, politically effective. Then you have what for them are these terrible immigration figures. So it really is every time he takes half a step forward, he's pushed at least one step back. Katie, Rishi Sunak said in Prime Minister's Questions that he didn't take the meeting with his Greek counterpart because he thought they were going to use it to grandstand and relitigate issues of the past. This seems like Sunak's taking an even firmer stance than he has previously. What's the government's thinking behind all this? I think the problem perhaps was the lack of government thinking earlier in the week um, to the point that Clearly, there was annoyance in number 10 at what they felt. And I think something I write about in the magazine out tomorrow, which is they wanted to avoid what happened in 2021 when Boris Johnson had met with the Greek prime minister. All these briefings in advance meant that the whole uh, you know, meeting became about the Elgin marbles. You couldn't move from it. It was hard to talk about uh, things they wanted to talk about. And therefore, when they had the meeting request... It was agreed on the terms of, yes, but can we just focus on the core issues rather than making this about the Elgin marbles so don't speak about it publicly? Of course, the Greek side disputes some of the rules. Now, clearly they were quite ticked off about this. I would hazard a guess that meeting Keir Starmer uh, before the meeting too wasn't particularly uh, one to you know, make the mood even warmer. Um, but the decision was then made, no, I'm not going to do it, and Rishi Sunak instead worked on the NHS for an hour. I do not think from various conversations, they realised that by doing this, they would create what is probably going to be a week long to a week and a half, two week row, um, which is now, you know, dominating prime minister's questions, is becoming a diplomatic, uh, you know, ongoing question in terms of these things. And I think obviously the fact that the Greek side decided to go public quite early on and say, we're upset because of this. I don't know if that was factored in, for example. So I think there was a sense of maybe we can do it this way and perhaps a naivety in terms of what it has now become which is 
a constant round for Rishi Sunak to explain his decisions. As for what he's doing now, I think there is probably in a place where now he has gone so far in saying, I've had enough of this. He's sticking to his position and trying to plough on that way. But um, I think I think there are obviously certain 5D chess theories. that This is a genius new strategy to get to culture wars. Elgin Marbles, of course, the number one issue for most people uh, in their target seats and so forth. That's not the case. But I think probably what Rishi Sunak is guilty of is not thinking through four steps ahead what would happen if you then did this. Paul, let's turn now to an interesting story about a potential row between Rishi Sunak and Robert Jenrick, the immigration minister. This all started yesterday when Jenrick stood up in the Commons and said this. Well, I think my plan would have been brought to the, the House before last Christmas, uh, if I could have done, but let's hope we can bring forward a substantive package of reforms very quickly. The immigration minister's comments seem to suggest that he had a plan to cut immigration that was ready last year, but for some reason it never went anywhere. What do you make of this story? Maybe the place to start is by remembering that when Boris Johnson was up for the leadership in 2019, uh, three bright up-and-coming young Conservative MPs wrote an article in The Times supporting his candidacy, and they were Rishi Sunak, now Prime Minister, Oliver Dowden, now his deputy, dot, 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 and Robert Jenrick, a Minister of State at the Home Office. And I will give you the malign and then the benign view of what's happened. The malign view, as of of Jenrick's critics, would be, well, he's not progressed as far as these other two. He's been in Cabinet and then knocked out of it. Um, He's just been overlooked, potentially. He's been overlooked, potentially, again, when uh, Suella Braverman was um, sacked as Home Secretary. He didn't replace her. And Robert Jenrick might feel, according to this malign version, that he's really been sort of slighted and downgraded by someone to whom he's given his loyalty and to whom he's entitled, you might think, to expect some promotion in return, uh, and is there licking his wounds and has decided to go rogue. Now, the benign interpretation is quite different, which is that the Home Office has a way of radicalising ministers who go inside once they start seeing firsthand the sheer difficulty of managing border control. And that once they're there um, and, and they, they buy into this, get into this Home Office psychology, they go through a sort of profound change. Uh, and I would say, and to pick between those two interpretations, that None of us have got any windows to look into someone else's soul. But Jenrick has been going on for quite a while about border control and about leaving the ECHR really for a while back. So I don't buy this entirely cynical calculation about what he's, he's up to. And of course, it is all part of this much bigger debate about legal immigration, illegal migration, the Tories and Rishi Sunak's own view. Katie, is there now a free-for-all on immigration in the Tory party? I think in times of trouble for prime ministers, and as Paul has touched on, I think Rishi Ness has a run of bad luck and the polls aren't looking great. I actually think there was a moment when it looked as though they were heading very much in the Liz Truss direction. And over the past week, they've just gone up a little bit. And, but there's not much relief. They're still pretty, they're still dismal if you are a Conservative MP. My point is, I think there was a a danger zone they dip into and they picked up a tiny bit since the autumn statement. Now, 
I think what's happened, though, over the past few weeks, and particularly since the Supreme Court verdict, and to me, that Supreme Court verdict, if it had gone the government's way, or at least in a way where they could have said, we're doing X and we know this is going to happen, Rishi Sunak could have probably changed the narrative a bit more and ended, and almost begun the next year with taking off flights. Because it went as badly as really could have been planned in terms of how comprehensively it knocked down parts of the scheme there's now this big open debate in the Tory party about which way you go you add to that the legal migration figures there are some who think Rishi Sunak should start making the case in favour of legal migration he made some positive comments at the investment summit on Monday the problem I think is those people who think you should make the case they would like a situation where you could say you've stopped the boats you've got illegal migration down and then you could start making a conservative case for legal migration if both look out of control you can't really do that and it means that you have this free-for-all in the commons you have a Robert Jenrick who now I think is being and I agree with Paul I think this isn't all just about oh I'm annoyed at uh, my old mate who hasn't treated me in the way he treat, treated some other people and we all vote an op-ed together for Times Redbox and we're very annoyed <laughs> I don't think it's just that The fact that he is willing now, I think, to let it be known to some people that he is working on his own measures, the five-point Robert Jenrick plan that was written about widely that other week, but yet isn't actually government policy yet. The fact that in the chamber yesterday, he was effectively saying, well, yes, I think we should do this, and I've been pushing for all those things, means that suddenly the right of the party are seeing him as their new man in town. And it's worth remembering, Suella Bravman and Robert Jenrick went to university together. They are contemporaries. I think they probably have a bit in common in terms of their their thinking, despite the fact that when Suella Bravman was first put there, I don't think the theory is completely correct, but lots of people said Robert Jenrick is there to keep an eye on Suella Bravman. I think what that missed is Suella Bravman and Robert Jenrick do see eye to eye, not on everything, but on some things they do. And now you have a situation where the right are looking to Robert Jenrick as a man on the inside. And it shows you the other thing that I think has happened, which is James Cleverly, his appointment is not working out how it was meant to. And I think that some involved in that appointment, they look at the Conservative home, and it's great to have Conservative home here, but the Conservative home cabinet league table, they see that James Cleverly topped it for the first time. And, uh, you know, it's a Brexiteer candidate, it's popular with the grassroots. But all fine on paper. <laughs> but in practice, James Cleverly is softer on the ECHR than Sue Adabravman and Robert Jenrick. He, um, I think when you're a foreign secretary, it is a different type of pace and demand in terms of your media than it is uh, in the home office. And various, I think, gaffes, you know, you think about how to apologise for language in the chamber. And an interview here to the Times at the weekend where he was suggesting, Ron is not the be all and end all. You can say that. It is the case that the, you know, it's the Albania return scheme, which is the reason that the government can say things down. But I think if you don't have the rest of it together and think people suspect you of being a bit soft, you can't say that without just adding to your problems. And Paul, finally, there were reports in the Telegraph today that CCHQ is drawing plans, drawing up plans to cancel next autumn's party conference. What does this tell you about Tory election planning for next year? It doesn't necessarily tell one anything in that it may be as occasionally happens now and again, you read something that isn't necessarily all that well-informed. But it does mean, it would be very surprising anyway, if Conservatives were not thinking about when the election would be. You know, Will it be in the spring? Will it be in the autumn? 
were it to be in the autumn, that might have implications for the conference. But uh, the conference is a very big money spinner for the Conservative Party. So one of the arguments against removing it entirely or even curtailing it will be it brings in lots of cash they need. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Katie. And thank you very much for listening.